Welcome to the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast. I'm Aaron Goodman, host and founder of the podcast. I'm a journalist, documentary maker, university instructor, and communication studies researcher. And I've lived with multiple chemical sensitivity, or MCS, for years. I'm away from my usual recording spot, so you may hear an echo as I'm speaking in the intro and at the end of the podcast. But we're going to continue to roll out exciting episodes over the coming weeks and months. So stay tuned and please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. As you know, MCS is also known as environmental illness, chemical intolerance, and toxicant-induced loss of tolerance, or TILT, and it affects millions around the world. Many with the condition are dismissed by healthcare workers, employers, friends, even family. Countless people with MCS struggle to find healthy housing and get accommodation at work and school, and we suffer in all kinds of ways. The purpose of the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast is to help raise awareness about MCS and what it's like for people who live with it. We feature in interviews with some of the world's leading experts and researchers on MCS and lots of people with the condition, and we're just getting started. If you like the podcast and want to support it, please find links on the website and in the show notes. The website is chemicalsensitivitypodcast.org. Your help allows us to continue making the podcast and create greater awareness about MCS. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. This is episode 29, and the title is Man on a Mission, a Very Deep Exploration of MCS. It features a conversation with Don Want, PhD, based in Australia. Don has an engineering background and was introduced to environmental health effects when two of his young sons experienced unexplained health effects in their early lives. The poor treatment that he and his wife received by healthcare professionals when they were trying to find the causes of their son's conditions is what initiated their research into environmental effects. They then went on to identify environmental exposures as the reasons for their son's conditions, which then allowed them to regain their son's health. It's been about 35 years that Don and his wife have been doing research in this area in the background of their busy lives. Earlier, Don had been publicly active, recognizing chemical exposure effects on health, particularly with pesticides and many consumer products, and became involved in public interest groups as well as some governmental working groups. At one stage, he was a prominent local media interviewee, but later withdrew from such a prominent role so his family was not highlighted so much. Don has recently completed a PhD dissertation titled Environmental Effects on Health, Ignorance and Undone Science. His central thesis is that there are ample published scientific studies that show that environmental exposures can explain most of the chronic diseases in our modern society. But he argues the conventional medical system does not recognize or take such exposures into account. In our conversation, you'll hear Don explore his own family's experience with MCS, whether there could be a diagnostic test for MCS, how many people with the illness also have other conditions, his thoughts on the name multiple chemical sensitivity, why many healthcare professionals misdiagnose people with MCS, and a lot more. I hope you enjoy the conversation and find it a benefit. We release new episodes twice a month. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You can find us on social media. Just search for the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast or Podcasting MCS. Leave your comments about anything you hear on the podcast and please share the podcast with others. If you'd like to read transcripts of the podcast, please go to the website, chemicalsensitivitypodcast.org. Click on any episode you like, then click on transcript. Or you can find the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast on YouTube and read captions in any language you like. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to help others learn about the podcast. If there's someone you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast or a topic you'd like us to explore, just let us know. Email info at chemicalsensitivitypodcast.org. And thanks for listening. Well, Don, thanks so much for taking time to speak podcast. So much knowledge and expertise. I've been really looking forward to speaking with you. So again, thanks for taking the time. 
Could you start uh, off uh, by sharing with our listeners a little bit about uh, yourself and your own background with MCS? Is it a condition that you live with? And uh, if so, you want if you're comfortable talking a little bit about how it came about for you and when? I think uh, like most MCS sufferers, um, everyone's got quite a, a story. Um, I don't suffer from MCS myself. Uh, I'm lucky. However, I have had um, my family severely impacted. Uh, my wife's slightly um, chemically sensitive, but two of our five sons are chemically sensitive. And um, our introduction to chemical sensitivity was a, um, a hit and miss uh, affair originally when we had um, health problems with our first and third son, especially. And um, we um, we had, um, you know, unexplained health problems with both of them and we went through the medical system um, in Australia, particularly Sydney. The um, medical system um, didn't come up with any um, explanation for their um, symptoms and um, in uh, one, one case our, our paediatrician um, suggested we look into environmental effects and we started out by analysing one of our son's um, blood for heavy metals and um, hydrocarbons and uh, uh, the blood results came back um, with significant, significant levels of both in our son and at that stage he was actually in hospital in Sydney and um, we just simply innocently um, asked the um, doctors down there, would this have anything to do with these unexplained health problems? And from that time forward, everything changed. We were treated quite differently. Um, my wife, who stayed in the hospital uh, most part, was treated uh, quite differently to the nurses as if we were being watched. Long story short, they were setting us up for Munchausen by proxy, which uh, means that um, we're causing our child's health problems. And um, so as soon as we um, realised that that was happening and before our children were taken off us, we simply um, pulled out, stayed to the ground and started researching how possibly all these chemicals could be in our son's. And that started our uh, whole journey um, in this chemical sensitivity side and um, further abbreviation as we modified our home environment, ate organic um, food, you know, pulled up carpets, pulled out um, insulation from the roof, moved, you know, after having moved to a, um, a good area with uh, a fresh sea breeze, our son's health gradually improved. And, um, and then, of course, it started all over again when they started school. But um, we um, gradually, um, you know, educated ourselves the hard way. And um, once the um, media had picked up on our story and we came out in the paper, local paper, we were just deluged with uh, other families in the same situation as us and um, realised it's not just us, it's uh, right through society and, um, and it's, it is a significant problem. Um, so fast forward decades, uh, my um, children now grown up, have their own families and because of their awareness of their condition, their children have benefited greatly and lead normal lives. After they left and... Um, you know, after my work situation settled down fairly well, I um, started to do a PhD on environmental health effects on health, you know, environmental effects on health, rather, and uh, looking particular into the ignorance and undone science tied up with that. Um, and I've just completed that PhD. So it was really your own family situation, I gather, that motivated you to take on this enormous project uh, of doing a PhD. So before we dive into your the research that you did, which I think it will be very beneficial for listeners because you have so much knowledge and, and really your thesis, to my mind, is one of the most thorough 
documents that exists about MCS. So we'll share a link to the dissertation in the show notes for listeners. It's publicly available. But before we do that, Don, there are a lot of listeners in Australia, but it's a podcast that is listened to across the globe. Could you talk in broad strokes about the situation in terms of MCS for Australia? Yeah, Aaron, I really think that um, Australia is no different to what I can see from the US. You know, it's estimated in many studies that somewhere between 10% and um, 27% of our population are chemically sensitive and there's many papers coming up with many numbers on that. So that's a significant portion of our population. Australia has experienced the Munchausen by proxy scenario probably more than the US because, um, you know, in some hospitals in Australia that um, diagnosis criteria put on parents um, who push the medical system for answers and, you know, why they're not looking at uh, chemical sensitivities as such. A lot of hospitals uh, tend to write them straight off. Either, you know, it's a, it's a convenient psychological diagnosis. Um, the only thing is it's, um, it just pulls families apart. I know out in the cotton um, farming uh, belts in the past um, decades in Australia, there were a lot of effects on children and um, they all ended up in Sydney. Um, there were um, aspects of, you know, the um, records like for neuroblastoma. Um, it was a particular area in the country in Australia that had a very high incidence of that in children, and yet the children were taken to Brisbane hospitals, Newcastle, Sydney, and even Melbourne, and then the statistics for neuroblastoma cases showed up in those cities rather than where they came from, and it was simply watered down that way. So I'm sure similar things have been happening in the US, and my research, you know, my PhD, um, you know, probably, oh, I don't know, about 70 or 80% of the material on the sociological uh, aspects um, was in reference to the US rather than Australia because of the size difference, the US to Australia. Um, if there's a small percentage of um, researchers exploring this area, then the US has got more than Australia has simply in numbers. But there are some notable um, exceptions there in Australia, but um, the AMA and, um, oh, sorry, the Australian Medical Association and um, other associations um, like that uh, tend to um, really put the thumb down on practitioners that uh, start to recognise it. And um, the um, medical board is such equivalent over here. APRA um, will deregister doctors who are seen to be, um, you know, not using recognised diagnostic criteria on their patients. So if you're if they are wanting to do um, extra tests on them for environmental effects, then because it's not recognised in the medical system, um, then they can be up for sort of supposedly ripping the patient off in charges for excess testing and the like. So, yeah, that's, that's the situation in Australia. I don't think it's much different in America. Um, very frustrating situation. Before we go into your thesis, can you talk a little bit more about, you know, take us back to, if you could, when your children got ill with multiple chemical sensitivity, can you talk a little bit about where you were living, uh, about what time period this was, and uh, were you living in agricultural area, and have you noticed a change in the attitudes of the medical profession by and large in terms of their response to MCS since that time? When our children were young and uh, when we started making the connection with um, chemical exposures to health uh, with them, we were living in a um, 
country uh, New South Wales uh, town uh, near the coast, which in the agricultural industry, uh, the main cropping done was bananas and they were positioned up on the hills along the ridge lines and so forth. It was common to aerially spray uh, fungicide on those um, bananas. We lived kilometres away from the nearest banana farm. We, um, I suppose, if we had a telescope we could, or binoculars, we could um, see the nearest um, banana farm. Uh, it's just that we were that far away from it. But, you know, uh, the, the connection that we found was was not essentially straight with these bananas but um over time we found it was everything added up with our children we decided to eliminate the uh, agricultural connection by me eventually after after you know taking things into our own hand with our children's health after being really let down by our medical system i started to talk to a lot of the balloon operators, you know, tourist balloon, you know, taking people up in a balloon and starting to uh, understand the local um, air movement patterns around that town. And then I um, studied where we could move to to get out of the wind patterns so that there was never a situation where the agricultural um, spray vapour drift or blow drift could come towards our um, place of residence. And luckily we did find a place and um, it was about a kilometre off the coast. Uh, so we had quite a good component of onshore sea breezes and we were free of the local wind patterns um, in the um, banana agricultural area of that town. And um, when moving in, I just simply ripped up all the carpets, took out all the insulation in the roof. Uh, it was a brick, a bare brick um, building, so it didn't wasn't painted inside. It ticked a lot of boxes, um, and um, we gradually and you know like at at the same time we had changed to organic diet and um, we were watching and being you know um, quite aware of all the other chemical exposures like um, textic pens for the kids and things like that. Anyhow, after doing all that, modifying our environment in which we were living, the children just got better. And um, they were preschool age uh, when we were doing all this. And we all of a sudden had healthy children back again, although if we were out and there was a chemical exposure, then... Uh, one or both of our chemically sensitive two sons um, could go down, um, might be as easy as a headache or, you know, um, gastrointestinal disruption or something if it was worse. So that was quite good. And uh, then when they uh, got to school age, of course, we um, came up against all the exposures at school and that, that sent us down yet another path um, to have to deal with the school environment. And uh, luckily, um, you know, like although we we gradually tried to get onto the um, Parents and Citizens Association and tried to come up with uh, sort of green alternatives, many of which were cheaper than the commercial products like cleaning products, we could gradually improve their environment there, although there were some teachers that... Um, thought we were nuts and actually exposed one of our child, children um, at one stage to a whiteboard marker and after seeing um, his reaction um, were quite alarmed and um, believed us from there on. So, yeah, it's it's quite a story. Um, I'm sure one day <laughs> I think I'll write a book on it, but um, I'm sure there's many other um, stories out there by your other uh, MCS sufferers. Part of what you write about in the thesis is uh, currently, and you noted in your own family's experience, and many listeners will know too, that very few medical professionals diagnose people with MCS. In your view, Don, uh, do you think there could be a way for healthcare professionals to 
to diagnose uh, people with MCS as we go forward. You write about the French physician and researcher Dominique Belpom. Can you talk a little bit about the connection there between how you see a future path to diagnosis and the work that Dominique Belpom is doing, please? Yeah, um, as you know, um, there's been many hypotheses um, put forward to explain MCS, um, like neurogenic inflammation, sensitization of limbic neurons, um, classical conditioning, oxidative stress involving nitric oxide peroxynitrate, and a common denominator of the model seems to be the assumption of a, an acquired persistent hyperreactivity, most often developed during a period characterised by high strain on the body systems. But yeah, relatively recently, uh, Bell Pom uh, et al. Uh, in 2015 produced a paper um, which took uh, on a study which was conducted over some years on 727 self-reported MCS and or EHS cases. EHS is electrohypersensitivity syndrome. It was found that they can be objectively characterised and routinely diagnosed by commercially available simple tests. And the simple tests involve inflammation-related hyper histonemia, uh, oxidative stress, autoimmune response, capsule thalamic hyperperfusion, I'm sorry about the, the words, and blood-brain barrier opening and uh, a deficient the deficit in the melatonin, melatonin uh, metabolic availability suggesting a risk of chronic near neurodegenerative disease. So the the main thing of this study was the fact of the common co-occurrence of EHS and MCS um, suggesting a common pathological mechanism. The um, There's been other studies too, like um, Irigare in 2018 confirmed that um, ultrasonic um, cerebral Thomas Fogography um, is the best imaging technique for the diagnosis of EHS and to monitor patients being treated for both EHS and MCS. But um, there's an absence of objective diagnosis criteria in, in psychology. So as you know, MCS is quite frequently written off psychologically. So, you know, there's no objective diagnosis in that area anyhow. And while depression is commonly diagnosed in MCS sufferers, there's much evidence that depression itself is introduced by various environmental exposures and other psychological conditions such as ADHD and lack clear diagnostic criteria. And in my thesis, I actually found there's probably about five to ten times more studies done on MCS than ADHD, by the way, um, yet ADHD is readily accepted and MCS isn't. But the mechanism complexity and the overlaps with many other diseases I have found um, quite significant and um, it illustrates the difficulty and large number of tests required to establish the mechanisms for MCS demanded by orthodox medicine. The value of insisting on a mechanism becomes an excuse and a stalling, tactics, uh, a stalling tactic for orthodox medicine uh, in not recognising MCS. I'll, I'll leave it there, but I could talk about um, the overlaps in, in other conditions that MCS has. Yeah. I don't see it as, as a, um, a standalone self-contained condition. That's right. And before we go there, you know, just to recap, you, you've pointed to several tests, uh, complicated words, as you note, um, but, but tests that 
if I understand correctly, can find physiological indications or markers that there is an illness happening here. There is, that someone with MCS is actually experiencing, you know, responses in the body. And so are you saying that those tests uh, are available, but just are not advanced enough or used enough or no, is it- they, they are, they are commercially available, simple tests. However, in that combination to test for all those um, aspects is not recognized by the medical system. So a doctor pursuing all those tests may be pursued themselves by the um, medical um, system administrators that he's over-servicing, you know, his patient for an unrecognized diagnosis criteria, you know, like an unrecognized disease. Is it the case, you know, if someone has the financial resources to go to uh, an independent, you know, clinic specializing in environmental medicine, that those tests that you talked about can be provided? But is it the case that in like the publicly funded medical system, as you say, the doctors who ask for these will be reprimanded or will be barred from ordering these tests. Do I understand that right? Yes, they're they're not so much barred, but, um, you know, they will be watched. And um, if they're anything a little bit recognising environmental effects, they're they're already on the um, the to be watched screen by the um, medical associations anyhow. So, yeah, they're, they're too frightened themselves to go down that path. But as you say, you could do these tests yourself. But the other aspect to consider too, by the way, is in, any establ- in the establishment of a diagnostic criteria, although this paper was quite good in the fact that it had the numbers, 727 cases, that they looked at and and tested for, that's significant, but one paper on its own is not enough. In science, we need two or three more studies done in the same vein to see if it's consistent by independent researchers. And that's what the conventional side will always argue against Bell-Pom's study. The other other aspect to consider, and you know, like we're we're being too normative. You can be too normative um, in this quest for diagnostic criteria. We're essentially trying to to play their game to try to get recognised for a disease um, that we have, which is currently not recognised. Um, I know that's important, but, you know, for the individual, they simply know the consistencies and the functional medicine doctors also see the consistencies. So what about the diagnosis? Let's keep going anyhow and attention this problem. That's that's sort of what I'm getting at. Yeah, and I think, you know, that requires physicians to listen a little bit or a lot more to people with MCS instead of uh, writing us off or dismissing us, I believe. Is there enough research being done that can add to the momentum perhaps so, so we can perhaps hope that one day we can get physiological tests that prove that we have an illness? Do you think that could happen in the not so distant future. With um, the Bell Pom study um, having been done, it's essentially the first step of many uh, in that process. The um, the biggest problem is like it wasn't just one or two tests; it was quite a number of tests, and you know they they are 
essentially regarded as being unrelated, you know, like it's like looking to the extremes of things. Um, if I was a doctor and ordered those, that set of tests. So, you know, there is not a universally accepted, of course, diagnostic criteria in a simple one or two lab test criteria, you know, for this illness. But, you know, then you've got, you know, the demand for parallel studies to establish those tests as being definitive, as I've just mentioned. But you know, you've got to realise conventional medicines, in conventional medicine, multiple symptoms result in disbelief by the orthodox medical practitioners. Their training um, frequently leads them to regard individuals complaining of multiple organ problems and accompanying neurological symptoms as having a psychological problem. To date, no unique signs, pathology, lab tests or consistencies in illness project, uh, progression have been clearly established for diagnostic purposes. So it is not a definable disease that can be treated consistently by drugs, which is in itself a conundrum anyhow, um, because drugs is a form of um, chemical exposure. And um, by the way, the conventional medicine uh, system does not recognise minute chemical exposures affecting health, yet it will prescribe minute chemical exposures in the form of drugs to all their patients for a health effect. But anyhow, um, I digress there. But yeah, the essentially the orthodox medical system is ignorant and ill-equipped, untrained and not organised to handle chemical sensitivity health conditions. In fact, Belpom's array of tests would be feared by most conventional doctors because they could be um, threatened, as, as I said before, them by the medical authority. Common frustration of doctors is that the diagnosis of these conditions rely on the patient's self-reports as a result. And um, that also becomes an insurance industry nightmare for MCS to be formally recognised without diagnostic criteria independent from personal opinions. So it's a vicious circle. But the environmental causation of MCS also challenges the one-size-fits-all mentality of a medical system influenced by the pharmaceutical industry where diagnosis, drug administration and vaccination are done on the basis that everyone is similar. And even in drug research and treatment of patients are based on an average human never making any allowance for a sensitive subset of our population. When a doctor starts to question such an approach, they're criticised by their peers. It is pertinent to note that it has been observed generally that if people who question the standard view or view backed by powerful groups regularly come under attack, then it is plausible that suppression is involved. And um, that's been the conclusion of many papers written on that subject. Well, maybe we can um, unpack that a little bit. You know, um, you talk about attack and resistance uh, by the medical profession as a whole to engage in inquiry about MCS, to acknowledge people with MCS. Um, people with MCS often have illnesses like Lyme disease or um, respiratory conditions, skin conditions, autism. Well, what I found... What are you... Yeah, what are you found? What I, well, I found an enormous overlap um, between um, a number of conditions um, like... I'd already referred to EHS and MCS, uh, environ, environmental, uh, sorry, electrical hypersensitivity syndrome. Like 70% of MCSs seem to have EHS. So, you know, like um, that was the EHS overlap. And then there's chronic fatigue syndrome, fibromyalgia syndrome, 
chronic inflammatory response syndrome and some some people just call a condition chemical sensitivity rather than multiple chemical sensitivity and yet you know like they're recognizing cs as separate from mcs anyhow i just found that in my research and then there was gulf war syndrome post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, myalgic encephalomyelitis, ME, um, the Vietnam veteran health problems, lupus, irritable bowel syndrome, yes, and even Lyme. And, like, what I was finding was there was all this siloed research happening. So, in other words, all the um, researchers on these other conditions were just studying each condition on its own. So the tendency for the study group in these studies were to, for example, um, if I was looking at um, chronic fatigue syndrome, then I'd possibly exclude people with MCS and all these other conditions so that it would be only chronic fatigue. So in, instead of using 100 people with a variety of these symptoms, they'd narrow it down just to 10 people or something that they perceived was not an overlap or confounding with another condition, just to research that on its own. And that's the tendency in science today. You know, we want to compartmentalise everything and keep it down, you know, just to studying one thing at a time. And, and, and that is yet the other aspect of this whole chemical exposure versus health problem. Whenever a chemical product is produced or even one chemical on its own, then it's just tested on its own for health effects. And if you're going to test one chemical on its own, what endpoints are you going to test it for? Are you going to test it on its effect on the respiratory system or, you know, the liver detox system? Um, are you going to test it on the immune system effects or neurological effects? You know, they just simply try to select endpoints for one chemical exposure in a controlled environment in healthy subjects or subjects just with one condition. No one is looking at the whole aspect of environmental exposures where you've got thousands of exposures happening at the same time with, uh, you know, like uh, electromagnetic um, fields coming across our Wi-Fis, uh, cell phones and so forth, as well as the... Um, uh, radioactive component building up in the background in some areas. So, you know, like it's just a minefield. But all I'm getting at is to to really get a handle on this, to focus on one area, MCS alone, you're probably, I suppose, in, in one aspect, putting blinkers on if you just study that effect on its own because it's part of so many others. Hi, this is Aaron, just pausing briefly to say thanks for listening to the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast. This is episode 29, and you're listening to a conversation with Don Want, PhD. Don recently completed a PhD focused on MCS. His own experiences as a father of children with MCS led him to write his dissertation, which is perhaps the most comprehensive information out there about the illness. I encourage you to check it out. It's a fascinating read, so I'll provide a link to the dissertation in the show notes. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We release two episodes every month. And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can find links on the website and the show notes. Just go to chemicalsensitivitypodcast.org. Thank you. You know, there's been quite a lot of progress in terms of the recognition of some of the conditions that you mentioned. If we take Lyme disease, for example, if you look in the not too distant past, as I understand it, there was a lot of skepticism and skepticism and denialism by medical professionals, whereas now 
there's less of that. It's quite recognized. Does a situation or a case like that give us or give you any sense of optimism that people with MCS can potentially hope that in the future, may hopefully not too far from now, the same sort of phenomenon could happen where we, we move from denialism, skepticism to more of a consensus among the medical profession that, that this is a legitimate illness. I um, I'm I haven't particularly followed Lyme, but to my way of looking at Lyme is yes, it was this mystery illness um, that wasn't recognised and still isn't by the majority of the medic the orthodox medical system, um, but its connection with spirochetes, Borrelia, and so forth that can actually be tested for if you've got the right right approach to it, you know, um, in other words, takes um, into account biofilm presence and all this sort of stuff. It's more definitive than what MCS is. It still comes back to the fact that MCS is such a broad range of triggers and um, organs that are involved and it's, you know, like Lyme with, with those those testing pathways a little bit more defined and MCS having these various tests that I talked about on Belpom um, proposing, all those tests are all independent of each other. In other words, they don't make sense to a conventionally trained medical practitioner. So, you know, I, I see it still a long way in the distance, um, its recognition and... Um, I see it more recognised as part of environmental effects on health rather than a self-contained disease um, because of essentially all of its overlaps with all those other conditions that I spoke of. Yeah, and it's sort of uh, depressing, for lack of a better word, perhaps, because MCS seems to be at the bottom of the barrel in terms of the level of recognition out of all of the ones that you mentioned, I mean, maybe EHS, but well, ME, CFS, um, you know, there's still, you know, level of uh, denialism there, but it seems that MCS is pretty low uh, in, in the bottom of the barrel, which is not great. But um, maybe as we move towards uh, wrapping up, um, you know, we've talked about, you've talked a lot about the obstacles and, and the challenges, um, uh, a path forward. And, and, um, a lot of, a lot of people are fighting this fight in their own ways. But what do you think can be effective in terms of fighting for recognition? I see. Well, just before I do, I, I wanted to also touch on the recognition of allergies. Um, being being written off psychologically the same way as MCSs are. I'd like to touch on that before I leave. Please Um, do, of course. But um, just on your question, though, I see the um, fight for this condition is, as, as I just mentioned, you know, like more a fight for environmental effects on health in general. And... um, you know, like even in our own individual fight as a family over here, we at one stage were better off saying to authorities or doctors or the like that, you know, he's got a chemical sensitivity or allergy. As soon, I, I see MCS as being a, um, a uh, word that pushes the... Uh, um, alarm buttons for for many practitioners because it's a direct term that that virtually implies that industry products the chemicals in various products are are affecting our health and um so if we can get around it um by not actually pushing the mcs term but rather environmental sensitivities or something to that effect, 
I see that we've got a better chance of being recognized. So you're proposing um, environmental sensitivities, which is a a little bit less in their face. Is that what I hear? Yeah, essentially that's it. I'm I'm not actually um, advocating for that term as such, but just to... MCS has been around for decades now and obviously, you know, we're not getting anywhere with MCS as such. But, you know, in my research here, you know, with all the overlapping effects, even on people without MCS or one of these conditions, you know, chemicals are affecting everyone's health and if we highlight that we've got a better chance of being respected than trying to fight and explain a a relatively complicated condition to the average Joe Blow, especially a conventional medical practitioner. Yeah, Um, I hear you. It's sort of taking like a a wider approach. Uh, I wanted to see if you have any thoughts on the term toxicant-induced loss of tolerance or tilt, which was comes from the Hoffman Tilt Program and Dr. Claudia Miller and colleagues. What do you make of tilt? I think um, Claudia's, um, you know, invention of that name um, was along the, ro- the the lines that I'm trying to say should be taken. Um, MCS should be taken. I still feel that it's a complicated term for the average Joe Blow, though, you know, and it's it's less um, confronting uh, than MCS is, multiple chemical sensitivity. So I, I do believe that's that's in the same vein as what I'm, I'm advocating. Yeah, it's kind of, I hear what you're saying. I, I have mixed feelings because it sounds like in the context that you've uh, outlined is very really quite challenging right to 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 hear it and but it is there but if we have to kind of you know walk on eggshells around it you know i'm sort of a firm believer in calling it out calling it for what it is but at the same time you know just last week i had an experience in a medical medical doctor's office where i was met with that denialism and that gaslighting when I use the term MCS. So I recognize that it it does often lead to uh, a pushback, but I also feel it's important to say what it, what it is, but it's not that environment, environmental sensitivities isn't saying it. Your point, if I understand is that you're, you're kind of advocating for a broader, more encompassing term. So we're not singled out. Uh, MCS people aren't on their own. So it's sort of that enmeshment, enmeshing. So it's sort of that if we say that, if we recognize that we're connected with others, that we're all swimming in this chemical toxic soup and we're all affected, then we have a better case, better chance of fighting together as opposed to if we are solitary in that battle. Is that how, is that right? That's right. Yeah, that's essentially it. Um, as soon as you say MCS now, you're com- compartmentalized usually in the psychological category, you know. Just, just one thing before we go, I, I just wanted to say that in my research, I did find uh, quite an interesting aspect of allergies. It was in the, the realm of placebo effects, um, the tendency for orthodoxy to um, attribute MCS mostly to a psychological process and it stems from a number of studies that have been done on MCS very similar to allergies but it's worth considering allergies in the allergy realm. This distinction between a biological and neurological reaction becomes a little blurred Brain-triggered allergy attacks were documented as far back as 1886 when a person with asthma viewed an artificial rose 
and suffered an allergic attack. And then later it was shown that immune system responses can also be conditioned, and that was in 1928. Uh, it means that if a person associates a dust mite allergy with a particular odour, then the same smell will trigger an immune reaction even though no dust mite is present. And in the 1970s, the interaction between behaviour, the brain and the immune system became established uh, in the field which was then called psychoneuroimmunology. And since then, researchers have found that placebo responses in patients with allergies are among the strongest observed in clinical studies and strong psychological factors are apparent in people with a vast array of allergic disorders. These studies do not establish allergies as a purely psychological state since biological processes are involved, even in the cases where no physical trigger is present. But it does suggest the immune system responds to certain cues and environments. So as with allergies, MCS sufferer suffer reactions can be very debilitating. As with allergies, this phenomenon should be viewed as the body's protective reaction to a perceived threat based on a prior, on prior experience and initiating immune system reactions. Many studies on MCS, which conventional um, medical system looks at and refers to, totally miss this phenomenon in their conduct and use placebo-type reactions to assert and attribute a psychological response. I think that's very pertinent because there's nothing worse than those studies that come out on MCS sufferers and, um, you know, write it off, write off an, a perceived exposure or a real exposure, you know, a perceived exposure as a placebo effect. In other words, well, it's all in their head. I just thought I'd add that because that's often overlooked. So if, if any of your um, listeners are ever confronted by a conventional practitioner, you know, citing such studies, it's very pertinent there's many studies establishing such effects in allergies. And they, they believe allergies, they believe allergic reactions. Don, thank you so much for taking time and uh, for all the incredible work you've done and for sharing uh, your knowledge with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Okay, thanks very much, Aaron. Pleasure. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast. Thank you very much to Don Want, PhD, for speaking with me. The podcast is produced by me, Aaron Goodman, and Rainy Novak. We release new episodes twice a month. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the podcast and want to support it, please find links on the website and in the show notes. Your help allows us to continue making the podcast and create greater awareness about MCS. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Find us on social media. Just search for the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast or Podcasting MCS. Please leave your comments about anything you hear and share the podcast with others. If you'd like to read transcripts of the podcast, you can go to the website, chemicalsensitivitypodcast.org, choose the episode you want, and click on transcript. Or you can find the Chemical Sensitivity Podcast on YouTube and read captions in any language you like. Leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It's a great way to help others learn about the podcast. And if there's someone you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast or a topic you'd like us to explore, just let us know. Email info at chemicalsensitivitypodcast.org. And thanks for listening.